Welcome to the Civil Engineering Podcast, the podcast focused on helping civil engineering professionals succeed by exposing them to interesting civil engineering projects and successful civil engineering professionals around the world. Hosts Anthony Fasano and Christian Knutson had successful but unconventional civil engineering careers and now focus on helping civil engineering professionals achieve their goals in work and life. Welcome to the Civil Engineering Podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Fasano, and this is the podcast specifically for civil engineers who want to succeed. In today's episode, I talk with A.J. Whitaker, professional engineer, professional land surveyor, who's building a civil engineering company in a very unconventional way with a remote staff. It's a really, really interesting conversation I had with A.J. about what he's doing and some of the benefits of it. And I want to jump right into it because I'm, I'm excited to share this interview with you. However, before we dive into the interview with AJ, I want to take a minute to recognize our sponsor for the show, PPI. If you're thinking about taking the civil FE or PE exam, I recommend that you check out PPI, the leader in civil engineering exam prep. PPI is offering a special 20% discount to listeners of this podcast. Use the promo code civil at ppitopass.com. Again, that's PPI, the number two, pass.com, and use the promo code CIVIL for a 20% discount. A big thank you to PPI for supporting both of our podcasts, the Engineering Career Coach Podcast and the Civil Engineering Podcast. They're helping us to keep the content free and available for engineers. So please, if you need to take your exam, support PPI, and it'll be just like supporting us. All right, so to take us into the interview with A.J. Whitaker, I want to tell you a little bit more about him so you understand his background going into this interview. And I also want to mention at the end of the show, he mentions a position for an engineer that he's hiring in the L.A. Orange County area. So if you're in that area, definitely listen for his job description at the end of the episode. As the president of Atlas Civil Design, AJ provides a full suite of civil engineering services to meet the needs of a diverse clientele. He's a registered civil engineer and land surveyor with over 20 years of experience in large-scale single and multifamily residential, commercial, industrial, municipal, medical, healthcare, and mixed-use projects. He's a recognized as an industry leader, having served three years as the chapter president of the American Council of Engineering Companies. His professional focus is saving his clients time and money through early-stage project involvement. He has established a reputation as a leader and expert in the application of the revolutionary site ops technology, which he talks a little bit about, in the episode, AJ's excellent professional track record for profit center startup growth management and leadership lead him to form Atlas Civil Design in early 2013. His entrepreneurial drive focus on client service and extensive background in business development, which we get into as well, has led to Atlas becoming the firm of choice for some of the most prominent land developers in Southern California and beyond. And would you believe it or not, that he does this company, he builds this company with no central office, which is what I find so interesting, this remote operation that goes on. He blogs as well at ngpreneur.com, which he'll mention in the episode. And with that, I want to jump right into the interview with AJ. Enjoy it. Civil Engineering Podcast. Civil Engineering Podcast. Now it's time for our Civil Engineering Conversation of the Week, and I have here with me today A.J. Whitaker of Atlas Civil Design. A.J., welcome to the Civil Engineering Podcast. Thanks, Anthony. Good to be here. A.J. and I met a few years ago through a meetup out in San Diego for engineers, and we talked a little bit about his company that he had 
I guess recently started at that point, and I invited him to come on the podcast to talk to us about his company now. <laughs> I wanted to, to talk about it because it's not a very traditional civil engineering company as far as how the company was built. AJ, why don't you start out by just giving everyone a little bit of your background and what led you to starting your own business to begin with? Yeah, so my dad was an entrepreneur. He uh, he had a heavy equipment business um, working in the oil fields, working uh, residential construction sites, selling landscape materials. He kind of had, he had several different jobs over the years, and I I guess that's where the entrepreneurial bug started setting in. I went to Cal Poly San Luis Obispo, majored in civil engineering, got my engineering license, got my uh, land surveyor's license shortly after that and just uh, sort of put in my time in the trenches for several years after college, but then sort of had that entrepreneurial bug rear its ugly head again uh, about, I don't know, 12, 13 years or so ago and had a hard time ignoring it. I, I just, there was something down deep that said, you know, you need to do this. You need to go into business for yourself someday. And uh, it was always a very scary thing because the prospect of walking away from steady, you know, steady employment, high salaries, dependable benefits. Once you're set into those ways, it's a scary thing to walk out on your own and, and face the uncertainty of starting your own business. So I, I kind of put myself in a position in 2000. 11, 2013, where I knew eventually I was going to have to make a decision. Either I was going to write a big check to my employer in order to start purchasing shares of his company and enter into a long-term purchase agreement whereby I would own a portion of the company, or I was going to leave and go into business for myself. And ultimately, that's what I ended up doing. So in 2013, first part of 2013, a week before my 40th birthday, I started Atlas Civil Design and uh, haven't looked back. It's been great. We've been growing steady for the last three and a half years, have a great client base, a great team of uh, people working for us, and uh, sky's the limit at this point. We're, we're loving every minute of it. That's great. So we're going to dive in here a little bit to kind of the back end of AJ's company because he's running it maybe a little bit differently than you might see traditionally, not in the services that are offered per se, but in the kind of operational side of it. So AJ, talk to us a little bit about the operational side of your business and what made you go in the direction that you did. Yeah, so I think as one of the things that I always knew as I started thinking seriously about what I wanted to do, what I wanted my company to ultimately be was I saw a lot of things being done wrong or being done for no particular reason at the companies I worked for before. And I've worked for small companies, I've worked for large companies. And it seemed like they were all making the same mistakes, just things that didn't make a lot of sense to me. And so from day one, I, I really set out to question, you know, why are we doing it this way? Am I doing it this way just because that's what I've been taught or is there a better way to do it? And we certainly, you know, always look for opportunities to leverage technology. So one of the first basic questions we asked ourselves was, um, you know, do we need to have an office or does the technology nowadays let us leverage things like Skype, email, online cloud-based servers? Do we need to have a central office where everybody shows up to work every day? And when I started looking at that, it really, the answer is no, you don't. And, and in a civil engineering firm like ours, it's not like architecture where you've got clients coming in every day and needing to use your conference room. We're hired to do a job and we do it. We turn out a product and we support our clients mostly over the phone and by email these days anyway. So 
one of the things we didn't do when we started the company was go out and rent an expensive office space and buy plotters and and everything else that goes along with it. And so, I mean, the, the obvious immediate benefit of that is that we save on overhead expenses. Some of the less obvious benefits of that came about in the form of, I wasn't shackled as far as who I could hire to be on our team. And instead of having to hire people within a driving radius of our office, you know, we do work throughout Southern California. I do work in LA, Orange County, Inland Empire. We're in San Diego. You know, it doesn't make sense to have people with just a San Diego experience to do projects up in L.A. because they do projects differently up there. So with this business model, with this remote office arrangement where people are working primarily out of their home office, I can bring in experts with experience in the L.A. market, in the markets that we serve. We did a project in Las Vegas, a dialysis clinic a couple of years ago, and I used a hydrologist who had a lot of experience doing those types of projects over there. You know, she was integrated into our team for that project, and it was, if, it was as if we were sitting in the same office. It didn't really make a lot of difference to the success of the project. It's not for everybody. I recognize that some people have to drive to an office every day and, uh, in order to be productive. So I, I don't promote it as something that's a solution and a fit for everyone, but it certainly has worked well for us so far. So, AJ, do you have some staff that are hired out as your employees and then you use freelancers at other times or experts as needed? Is that how you typically run the business? Yeah, we've got a mix of both. We've got, we've got full-time employees and I've got contract people. Uh, we'll bring on on an as-needed basis. So yeah, a good, good chunk of our team is in, you know, these are small businesses themselves. They're in business for themselves. I've got a person who maybe, you know, she only really, her specialty is hydrology and hydraulics and water quality. So I'll bring her on to just do that aspect of the project. And she's not a full-time employee, so I'm not paying a monthly salary. It's just, you know, I bring her on on a project by project basis. She gives me priority service and does a bang up job. So in a sense, I'm able to go out and hire the best and the brightest at what they do and, and put together individual project teams to best serve my clients. You know, AJ, the more you talk about it, I think there are so many different benefits and you mentioned that a bunch of them here already, but it's really nice that you could be flexible because as you said, civil engineering as a business is very local. There's local guidelines, there's local boards. You have to really follow everything locally. And it sounds like with this kind of a model, you can scale without having to add the expenses of a new office and other local expenses, which I think sounds great and keeps your company really flexible, probably stronger financially, which is excellent. Like you said, if it's for you and you can run something like that, then this works. It makes a lot of sense. And like you mentioned, I think a really big point is that at some point in time, when you have a traditional company, you have employees. I mean, you'd like to say that every employee and every civil engineer that works there is 100% motivated and comes to work every day going 100 miles an hour. But you know, that's not always the case. And in this situation where you are hiring someone that is coming on getting paid to do a service, like you said, they're their own entrepreneurs. They're basically building their reputation. They're building their resume, their credibility. And so every project to them is almost like their own business which I think is really powerful as an entrepreneur myself because you're getting that high-quality kind of work. You agree? You're hitting on something that really it didn't occur to me when I was setting this up, but it's really come to light since then. I guess I didn't think about it too much, but it's an obvious benefit now that we're doing it is that 
you know, in a traditional office environment, if you're somebody who just is good at looking busy, you know, but doesn't really turn out a lot of work, you know, you can survive in a traditional engineering office environment for a couple of years before people get wise to you and decide, hey, this person isn't really contributing to the value of our team here. In our environment, you know, I don't care how busy you look. I, I, we don't even do time cards here. You know, it's all about the end result. It's about what you produce. It's about the quality of your work. The results speak for themselves. And people who just are good at looking busy and can't really, you know, turn out the work, then they're not going to last very long in this, in this type of environment. Yeah, it's a good point, AJ. And talk a little bit about coordination with your team. Without having a central office, the first thing that would come to mind is the communication, staying on the same page, who's working on what. And you mentioned a little bit about you have a system and you can use tools like Skype. What does that look like for you? Do you have certain tools that you use? Do you get on the phone a certain period of time? How does the operational side look with the team? Yeah. So, I mean, on a daily basis, we've got Skype turned on first thing in the morning, you know, Skype comes on, I turn on my light to green and people know that I'm available to, uh, to meet. We don't use the video feature too often because I don't care to see people working in their pajamas, but, uh, <laughs> you know, we definitely use that as an option. We share our screen pretty frequently. There's tools out there. We use, uh, I prefer join.me is one that I've discovered that's free and works great. You know, obviously we're on the phone with clients a lot. We, one of the things we do, we only give our cell phones out on our business cards. So if a client needs to reach an individual person, they've got a direct line of communication with that person wherever they're at. Obviously email, you know, is huge as it is with everyone. You know, that is the primary tool by which project teams, including clients, want to communicate these days. So the email is a big part of that. Our file storage is all done in the cloud. So what happens is the active projects we work on get synchronized in real time with our local workstations. Most of us have laptops. And um, so we've got instant access to the project files that get updated in real time as other people in the, in the company modify those files. That's really it. There's no secrets beyond that. I mean, we do occasionally meet in person, but uh, most of the time we, the remote thing just works. And AJ, if someone in your team wants to get in touch with you, they might just shoot you a Skype message. Is that how you work? Yeah, if I'm at my desk, if I'm on the road, obviously phone, you know, calling and texting is a, is a huge part of that. But um, yeah, people can always get a hold of me if they need to. Another question is, obviously, as a civil engineering company, you're putting out a project and at the end of the, of the day, whether it is a design or a report, and obviously you want to have uniformity across the team, across the products and services that go out without an office and without getting together, how do you make sure that that happens? Are you doing a review on the computer as opposed to sitting down with someone looking at a plan that is printed out and going through everything? How does that work? So, uh, one of the key positions in our company that I brought on about a year ago, which helps me sleep better at night, is I have a dedicated quality control person on board. And uh, he's an old school guy. He, uh, he's been doing this probably 30 years or so, and he's seen everything. He reviews every set of plans before it gets submitted to an agency. And he's actually here in Oceanside, where I'm at. I, I don't see him in person too often, but we do live in the same town. And what happens is when we've got a set of plans that are ready for him to review, he'll send it off to the local blueprinter because he doesn't like working off of a screen. He'll have it printed out. He'll go back to his house. He'll mark it up. And when he's got those red marks done, he takes it back to the blueprinter. They scan it in and those red marks get posted to the server for the rest of us to see. 
the cool thing about that is in a traditional office environment, there's several, you know, somebody hits the print button, that's not necessarily getting billed to the client or when they scan something. But because we're routing everything through the local blueprint, or I get an invoice for all of those and they're tied to a project. So we're able to bill those expenses as reimbursables with a markup. So we're actually making more money with this system than we were before. I don't have to pay for maintenance on plotters or printers or anything like that. Most of us operate, you know, just digitally. I review plans on my screen, you know, every day and it works fine for me. So for the old school guys who want to mark up stuff, they just have to get in the habit of making trips to the blue printer as needed. We do the same thing on plan reviews when we get agency markups back. The first place they go is to the blueprint that gets scanned in, so everybody has access to it on the server. As far as consistency, you know, you, you mentioned that we do have standards in-house. You know, we have lots of checklists, lots of systems that serve as a guide for people. We're trying to implement a, a system using a tool online called Asana. It's a free sort of a task management tool. We've had limited success with it. We're trying to uh, work it more into our workflow. But one of the tricky things, of course, when you have contract combination of full-time employees and contract workers, I'm real careful about that line that gets drawn between the definition of those workers. And so I can't necessarily dictate how an engineer does what they do, how they draw a line, you know, if I'm bringing in a contract person. So a lot, a lot of our checklists and things just serve as tools, uh, reference tools to help our production team be more efficient and minimize the amount of back and forth that we have to do. That's interesting. And, you know, it makes sense. Like you said, everything is in the cloud. You can still have quality standards, guidelines, checklists in the cloud. People can utilize them, do their designs, and it can get reviewed on a computer screen from the blueprint, which all makes sense. How about clients as far as knowing you don't have an office, knowing that you operate like this? Has there been anyone who's been opposed to it? How has their response been to your model? That's a great question. I thought there would be, you know, I thought there would be some pushback to this. And I was, it was one of the things I was nervous about going into it, but I don't hide it. You know, I mean, here we are talking about it today. A client asks me about it. I'm more than happy to discuss it. And what I've, what I've discovered in that process is that I've actually got clients that are doing the exact same thing. One of my biggest clients, uh, he works out of his house up in Seattle, you know, and it, he, so I didn't have to sell him on the model. He was already doing right. There's been other, um, you know, we gave a presentation to an architecture firm about a year ago, and they asked about our business model and got into some of the, it's not something I traditionally just volunteer, but they asked. And so I told them, and the, the owner of the firm, the principal of the firm was, he, he's an old school guy. And he just, you could see the hair on the back of his neck bristling. He just didn't want anything to do with this. And, you know, that's fine. Like I said, it's not for everyone. Right. But what's ironic is, you know, now we're doing projects for that architecture firm. So what they've discovered is that, you know, it really, it's not about your office. It's not about, you know, how many people you have sitting in cubicles. It's about the end product and the level of service that you're able to provide to your clients. And in most instances, we're able to surpass the level of service of our competitors. So that's what the clients care about. When, when they want to show up at my office for a, a meeting, I, I typically divert that and we end up meeting in a conference room or at their office. Fortunately, most of my, a lot of my architecture clients still have traditional offices, so that's where most of our meetings occur. Yeah, that's great. And as far as your like liability stuff, insurance and all that, 
it pretty much sounds like it would be the same. I mean, you have employees and a lot of civil firms have contractors that they hire. So that's pretty much the same as it would be in a typical office setting, right? Yeah, it's exactly the same. You know, we still have a general office liability policy that we're paying for, but it's mostly just because they, you know, these contracts require it. So we've got it. I I mean, we do, when you look at my business card, it has a commercial, it doesn't say AJ's house. It says, you know, it's a commercial address. It's an office building that does exist, but what it basically consists of is a mailbox and a conference room that we have access to when we occasionally need it to meet as a team. That's great. It sounds like there's just a lot of positive things. Like you said, if it is something you are comfortable with doing, and I think that in today's world, more and more people are becoming comfortable with this, it seems like it just gives you a lot of flexibility, especially on the financial side. We recently had a gentleman on the podcast, Rick DeLaGuardia, who has his own business that he built up down in Miami. He focuses on earthquake engineering and building envelope design. And one of the things that he talked about for most of the episode was the financing side of opening up a business and all the costs the office, the plotters, all of these things are a huge obstacle for a civil engineer who wants to go into business for him or herself. And hearing your model, I think gives a lot of civil engineers who are looking for that opportunity, but don't necessarily have the funds, an option. Right. No, exactly. I mean, I'm not, for my contract workers, I'm not paying for their AutoCAD. You know, that's one of the things they're going to have to pony up if they want to be their own boss. But I'll tell you the benefits far outweigh the negatives, in my opinion, because you think about it. You talked about scaling up. Yes, we have the ability to scale up pretty easily with this without putting out a lot of cash. But you can also, you also have the ability to scale down. If the market slows down, heaven forbid, but we all know it will eventually, I'm not really worried about having to lay people off because, you know, a good chunk of my workforce, production workforce anyway, are contract people. So they have the ability to go out and find other people to work for. You don't have that luxury when you're working for a traditional engineering firm. In fact, most of them really frown upon the idea of moonlighting. You know, they don't want you going out and looking for work while you're still working full time for them. They want you to sit there and just watch your workload decline until eventually they lay you off. And that's a scary position. What I think is a far better system is if, you know, we're all kind of our own boss in business for ourselves, making our own decisions, and we have the freedom to go out and solicit additional work if my primary workload slows down. To me, that's a lot more secure. It gives me a lot more security knowing that that's an option than when I'm putting all of my faith and trust in one employer who could lay me off, you know, at a moment's notice. Yeah, you know, that's an excellent point because I get the opportunity to talk to a lot of civil engineering presidents and CEOs through the podcast. And there is always a huge concern that in the civil world, your company ends up getting a mega project or a large project. They hire a bunch of people for the project. Then the project ends or it gets stalled or something happens. And then all of a sudden you have all this staff that you brought on and now you're trying to keep everyone busy and you end up getting time that's not billable and it really hampers the company financially. Yeah. So that's an excellent point. You are flexible in both directions. You can scale up, which is great. Yeah. And you can scale down. You kind of flow with the economy with what's going on at this time. I think that'd be a really, really huge advantage between all the ups and downs in the economy over the past few years. Absolutely. I, I mean, the key to making all this work is being able to network with people who have the skills that are complementary to my own. I mean, 
I consider myself a business developer. It's, it's the stuff, you know, I'm, I'm a rainmaker. I, I like to get out and bring work in the door, issue contracts, proposals. You know, that's sort of where my skill sets lie. I'm not so much a good drafter anymore. I used to work in AutoCAD. I don't do it so much anymore. I'm not great at putting technical studies together. It's just I could do it if I had to, but it's not something I'm passionate about. I'm able to go out and team up with people who have those skills. Now, maybe you have somebody who's good at, you know, hydrology studies, but they're not good at business development. So that could that could really hamper them from going into business for themselves because they're thinking, well, I don't, you know, I'm not really good at that aspect of it. By create by networking with other people who do have those skills, you can see how those teams get formed, you know, and we sort of form this bond where we, we rely on each other, but ultimately at the end of the day, we just focus on the things that we do best. I don't have to be a a dynamic business person with all these different skill sets in order to go into business for myself. As long as I'm teaming up and, and networking with people who do have those skill sets, that's what allows us to succeed. Yeah, that's awesome. So, so long-term, AJ, what is your plan? Obviously, you want to continue and grow this company. Is your plan to continue to grow the company and continue to keep this model and keep trying to scale this up? That's the plan. I mean, I don't have any plans to break from this model. I think we've got our core values and, and they really, a lot of them revolve around this this business model. I wouldn't trade what we're doing for anything right now. I mean, at the end of the day, I don't I don't fill out time cards. I don't have to commute. <laughs> I, I don't have to set an alarm in the morning and I get to work. I don't want to change that. And I think it is scalable. What that looks like 10 years from now, how big can we get? I, I don't know. I don't really have an answer for that. I think ultimately my plan would be to hand this off to the next uh, generation at some point in the future. But that's that's easy enough. I mean, we've got some some great junior uh, people on board right now who could certainly fill that role uh, in the future if they so desire to do so. And I, I see that as sort of where we're going with this. I, I think I'd have a hard time selling this company with this business model to a traditional firm that grows by way of acquisitions. I mean, I don't necessarily see enough sell-off to Stantec uh, <laughs> at some point in the future. Now, it's interesting. You mentioned that about maybe a younger person or someone who works for you taking over. Is it possible, just like a traditional firm, to have a partnership structure model where you have people that potentially can buy portions of the company? Have you thought about that? Yeah, I, I've, I've thought about that. And I've been through that with two of my past employers. I was, we had a program set up to buy, you know, and I would go in and buy stocks and eventually take over at least a portion of the ownership. The problem is, the problem with that model is that the people who are buying stock or buying ownership in the company, their only source of income is the company. So it's kind of a weird situation when you think about it. You've got the owners who are paying their employees to pay them back for stock ownership in the company. It creates a weird, you know, and especially in light of the fact they don't want you going out and moonlighting or getting money from other sources, it creates a weird situation. And um, when I was put in that situation twice now, it just didn't pencil out. You know, I wasn't going to pay them a million dollars over the next seven years to own a fraction of the company when I could do it faster on my own. So you got to be careful with that. And I think I've learned some good lessons. So when it comes time, you know, for us to make that step, we're going to have to think long and hard about how we enable, you know, those who are employees to step into that leadership role and still have some skin in the game as well. We're doing it with my parents' business right now. And I think they've done a, they've 
they're not requiring their manager, their, their senior manager to cough up a bunch of cash. They're actually gifting some stock. And um, the idea is that over time, as, as he benefits from the profits of the company, he'll be able to purchase additional stock. But those are details to work out. I, I just, I'm always very sensitive to that, uh, that method of transferring stock, though, just based on my own experiences from the past. Great. Okay, now we're going to jump into our end segment in a minute here and ask AJ a couple of, of the hot seat type questions that we ask all of our guests. But AJ, before we do that, there's one last question I want to ask you, a civil technical type question, because we mentioned it in your bio. It's this site ops technology. I know that you have expertise in that. I remember that from talking with you in the past that you've been kind of able to use that tool uh, for business development. I know people might be wondering, what is SiteOps since we mentioned it? Could you just share a little bit about it and how it's helped you to build your business? Yeah. Gosh, I started using SiteOps in 2000, so it been 2009. Uh, it was sort of an emerging technology at the time. It's a cloud-based optimization technology that allows us to go in and do very fast conceptual site layouts and grading designs and it, it will literally run through and find a cost optimized grading solution within a matter of seconds on a given site. I did a session this week where I went into an architect's office he gave me a blank site that had some hills on it and we laid out uh, in a two-hour session we laid out about five different scenarios whereby we were putting roads and buildings on the site figuring out how to best um, lay out the site from a grading standpoint. So it's been a great tool. It hasn't gained. Bentley purchased the company a couple of years ago. I, I don't think it's been rolled out or received as uh, to the scale that they were hoping, but we have certainly gotten a lot of leverage out of it. I, I use it for business development constantly and get paid for it as well. So not only does it get our foot in the door early on in a project and allow us to provide value, but we get paid for those services and uh, it's just been a great tool. I, I love it. That's great. And that's definitely a running theme of guests on the podcast is the idea of developing that expertise, not just providing value to your clients and prospective clients, but becoming an expert. We had Will Schneer on from Big Red Dog Engineering, and he talked about in his preliminary meetings, giving ideas about zoning to his prospective clients to the tune of maybe like $10,000 worth of consulting before they even hired him. So their take on it would be like, wow, if this guy's giving me all this free advice that's this valuable, what is he going to do if I actually hire him? So I think having tools like SiteOps, being able to become an expert and show that to people definitely helps you to build a business. You got to find something that sets you apart, you know, and for us, that has, SiteOps has definitely uh, provided that for us. All right. So now we're going to jump into our end segment of the show where we have a few hot seat questions here for AJ on career professional development. Civil Engineering Podcast. Civil Engineering Podcast. All right, now we're going to round out this episode with some hot seat questions for AJ Whitaker of Atlas Civil Design. But before we do that, I'd like to recognize our sponsor for today's episode, PPI. Engineers often ask me what exam prep materials or review courses they should use when preparing for the FE or PE exam. Hands down, I recommend PPI. I personally use PPI's materials to pass my exams, and I recently had a chance to demo their civil FE and PE review courses. It's why I feel confident recommending PPI for those of you planning to take the next step in your career. 
PPI is offering a special 20% discount to listeners of this podcast. Use promo code CIVIL at PPITopass.com. Again, that's PPI, the number two, pass.com, and use promo code CIVIL for a 20% discount. And I used PPI's books. Michael Lindeberg, the CEO of PPI, wrote a wonderful civil engineering reference manual that I used for my exam. It's still sitting on my shelf, so I really encourage you to utilize PPI's materials. They support the podcast. They support you. They help to keep these podcasts free. So let's support them. All right, AJ, it's time that we're going to hit you now with a couple of these questions that we ask all of our guests to help civil engineers with their own personal and professional development. First one, are there any specific rituals that you practice every day, whether it is a specific morning ritual or lunch routine, checking your emails, meetings, anything that you do consistently on a daily basis that has helped you to be successful? I think the number one habit that I do on a daily basis is that the first part of my day, I list out all of my critical to-do items that have to get accomplished that day. I put them in Outlook uh, just as all-day meetings. And then after I've got my list of, say, five or six things that have to get accomplished, I then drop them down and put them into time brackets in my Outlook calendar. And inevitably, within the first hour, I get off track. But I, I try to, you know, go back and refer to that throughout the day, and I make adjustments. And it is just that habit alone has made such a huge impact on what I'm able to accomplish on a daily basis, despite the emails, despite the phone calls. I've passed that on to uh, one of our junior engineers here in the last year, and, and he's now doing it on a regular basis. And because we share calendars, I can see him doing it, and it's it's made a big impact on him as well. So that's probably my best habit that I've uh, been doing pretty consistently for a while now. That sounds like a great one to me. I haven't heard that yet. And what I do hear a lot from civil engineers is that they try to manage their time in that way. They do get off track, of course, because you've got to put out the fires. That's something that you always have to deal with as a civil engineer. But that's a great anchor to have. That's something you can refer back to, which is really awesome. Yeah. All right. What is one book, AJ, that you might recommend to engineers regularly or just one book that you have found to be extremely helpful professionally or personally that's helped you in your development? I would have to say The E-Myth by Michael Gerber. It's one of my first, uh, one of the first business books that I read. It's super easy read. It's an oldie, but a goodie. And in that book, Michael Gerber sort of, um, references the franchise prototype of McDonald's and just uses as, as an example of how having good systems in place combined with a, a, a structured organization where people clearly understand what their tasks and responsibilities are, how that uh, just creates a lot less stress on the entrepreneur, you know, because people know what's expected of them. And then they've got these systems to help them succeed in their job. And if something goes haywire, you don't fight fires. You go back and say, okay, this is a breakdown in our system. How can we keep this from ever happening again? And that book alone has had a dramatic impact on my career and my business life. Excellent. That's a great book. It really is. All right. Last question for you. This is a question, AJ, that we ask all of our guests. We call it the civil engineering career elevator advice question, which is basically if you got into an elevator with a civil engineer and had about 30 to 40 seconds with him or her and had to give them one piece of career advice in a short period of time, what would that advice be? Oh, that's an easy one. I'd tell them to go to my blog where I, <laughs> where I spew <laughs> all of my philosophies. www.engipreneur.com is, uh, is sort of the place that I've 
I put down my business ideas. I try to share with uh, other engineers sort of the lessons that I've learned. Some of my obscure business philosophies can be found there. It's been neglected for the last couple of years, I'll admit, but here recently I've been motivated to get back into it and start start keeping it current. But uh, there's some great stuff in there, I think, that could really benefit uh, engineers who are looking to excel in their career. Great. And in building your business, Atlas Civil Design, what would you say, you know, one or two skills that come up to the top of your head that have really been helpful in growing your business, the skills that really stand out? You know, anytime you can bring work into an organization, that is the best type of value that you can bring. So any type of, you know, any of the skill sets that uh, you cover a lot, Anthony, uh, about, you know, networking and, you know, looking for opportunities to bring in projects. I mean, the rainmakers are the most valuable people in an organization because they, everybody else depends on that. So the skill sets surrounding business development are huge. And and I would certainly encourage people to work on that aspect of of their career whenever possible. Great. And that is something that we do focus on a lot on the podcast throughout our website on engineeringcareercoach.com. And you can definitely check that out. And the show notes for this episode will be on the website at civilengineeringpodcast.com. This is episode number 38, and we will link to AJ's LinkedIn profile, his company website, his blog, ngpreneur.com. So you can follow along with his advice that he puts out there on a regular basis. AJ, it sounds like you are doing some really interesting things with your business just in the way that you are building it. It sounds like an awesome model, and I really appreciate that you take some time here to talk with our listeners about it. Can I throw out a quick plug, Anthony? Yeah, go ahead. We currently have a key position in our organization we're looking to fill. So if uh, anybody in the L.A., Orange County, Inland Empire area of California is looking for something different. Maybe they're tired of the commute or they want more work-life balance. We're in the market for a project manager. And so uh, help me get the word out and um, see what happens. Excellent. Okay, once again, the show notes for today's show will be at civilengineeringpodcast.com, episode 38. And until our next episode, I wish you all the best in your civil engineering career endeavors. Thank you for listening to the Civil Engineering Podcast. Be sure to visit civilengineeringpodcast.com where you can listen to past episodes and also submit your project to be featured on the show. We also invite you to visit our main website at engineeringcareercoach.com and download a free three-part video series created specifically for engineers to help you best utilize LinkedIn for networking, improve your communication and speaking skills, and also help to develop your leadership abilities. Now is the time to engineer your own success.